I've got a couple of passages of scripture on my heart this morning. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 139. I worked on three different messages this week and then went to bed last night. Right when I laid down, the Lord laid this passage on my heart. Um, <clears throat> I actually turned my light back on and took some notes on my phone. Um, and this morning just could not get away from this uh, thought. I need the Lord to help me get this burden off of my heart. Psalm 139, Lord, I need you to help me now. I take the word of God, take the scriptures. I pray, God, that you would do what needs to be done here this morning. Lord, I have a burden, a heavy burden for a reason. I don't know for who, for what, but I know that I've got it, and I pray that you would Help the word of God go forth this morning. May we rightly divide the scriptures and may God's people and any unsaved people here today, Father, benefit from this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about what David said in Psalm 139, verse number one. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. I've got that underlined. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising now understand this, my thought afar off. He's talking about God here, all right? An omniscient God that knows everything. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. <clears throat> Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, there even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And he's talking about the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou possessest my reins. Thou hast possessed my reins. Thou covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Y'all getting this? David's talking about God knowing him. He's talking about God knowing everything there is to know about him. He's talking about God knowing his uprisings and his downsittings and his thoughts and 
all about his little body before it was even formed. The thoughts of God toward him were continuous and as the sands of the sea. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 7. I love to hear the rustling of the pages. Glad you brought your Bible to church this morning. Look at Matthew 7. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. How does a God that knows everything, how does it, what would it feel like for an omniscient God, an all-knowing God, to look at you and say, I never knew you. Now, I'm already in over my head. Okay. A lot of times when we ask people, when we're witnessing, we ask them if they know the Lord. I would use that question a lot. Seems to be somewhat non-confrontational, but it gets the conversation going. I just ask people, do you know the Lord? Their answer many times will tell you what you need to know, and then you can kind of go from there. What we want to know is if they know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's what we want to know. But I ask that question a lot, do you know the Lord? But I guess my question this morning is, does he know you? This chapter is very interesting. It is filled with groups of twos. In chapter 7, verse 1 down through verse number 5, I guess we, we've got two different, well, from verse number 3 down through verse number 5, we've got two different eyes. Two different sets of problems. You got your eye and your brother's eye. You got one thing in your eye and they got something in their eye. You got two groups of twos in verse three through five. You've got in verse number six, you've got the holy and the unholy. In verse number 13 and 14, you've got two different kinds of gates. You got a wide gate and a narrow gate. Two groups of people going through those gates. In verse number 15 down through verse number 20, you've got two different trees with two different kinds of fruit. You've got a good tree and a corrupt tree. You've got good fruit and evil fruit. Y'all see that? You get to verse number 22 and 23, you've got two different kinds of works. They said they were doing wonderful works, and Jesus said you're workers of iniquity. Two different kinds of works. Verses 24 down through verse number 27, you've got two different houses with two different kinds of foundations. I want to say this this morning, there's, there's only two groups of people in this service this morning. There's lost people and there's saved people. There's only, that's the only two of the kind of people that there, that, that, that there is this morning. There's, there's lost people 
and save people. But of the lost people, there's several different kinds. There's people that's lost and know it. Maybe somebody here this morning, you're lost and you know you are. God's already shown you you're not saved. Down deep in your heart, you know you're not saved. Whether or not you're willing to publicly confess that and deal with it, that's another story. But down deep inside, you know you're not saved. But there may be somebody in here this morning that's lost and you think you're saved. And this kind of message is one of the most nerve-wracking messages for me to preach. Because the last thing that I ever want to do, God's my witness, is make somebody that's saved doubt their salvation. But can I just be really honest with you? If I lived the way some of y'all lived, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night for doubting my salvation. And some of you don't doubt your salvation, but that's fine because there's enough of us doubting your salvation for you <laughs> that it ought to concern you. I'm amazed at people a lot of times that don't ever doubt their salvation and have about 50 reasons to. And my question to you this morning is this, does, does God know you? Does he know you? He, and well, we'll get to it in a minute. I'm trying, I'm trying to just go down through here. There are people with genuine salvation experiences and there are people with false salvation experiences. Don't think for one second that just because you've had a salvation experience that it's real. And don't think just because you've had a birth that it's real. Hebrews talks about bastards, not sons. Now, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a rocket scientist, but there was a birth but it wasn't legitimate. Is everybody still with me? And these verses right here have got to be some of the most heartbreaking verses in the Bible. I mean, when you get to reading, when you get to reading these verses, especially starting in verse 21, look at what he's saying. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, but the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know it says that. It also says, now not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now this, th these verses are in red in my Bible. This is Jesus talking. And when I read verse number 21, here's what I see. Not everyone that saith, but he that doeth. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He was quoting Isaiah 29, 13, where Isaiah said, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Their fear of, toward me is taught by the precept of men. They've learned how to act like they fear God. 
They've learned how to talk like they fear God. And they've figured out how to say the right things, say the right words, and flatter God with their lips, but their heart is not toward God. Look at our text. Look at verse 18. You're still in chapter 7. Verse 17, every, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth good, evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. If you're wondering why Jesus in verse number 23 told these people that they were workers of iniquity that had done all these quote unquote wonderful works, it's because a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. <coughs> Jesus placed a lot of emphasis on those that demonstrated their faith in him by their doing. Now let me just go on record again this morning. I do not believe in a works salvation. The Bible is clear salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing minus nothing. Even baptism's not a work that is required for salvation. Church membership, nothing is required for salvation except faith, genuine faith toward God. That thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he didn't even get baptized. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. We believe in salvation by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. Anybody that adds any works to salvation is a legalist. And we get accused of being legalists, but we're not legalists because we don't believe in works added to salvation. Right. Having said that, Jesus put a whole lot of emphasis on people that did one thing and said another. In Mark chapter number three, Bible tells us in Mark 3.31, here came his, uh, his brethren and his mother standing without they sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude said about him and said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them that said about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Our text is very clear this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 21. Not everyone that saith, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Look at verse 24. Whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Place a lot of emphasis on what they were doing. Now here's the crazy thing. They also placed a lot of emphasis on what they were doing. In fact, in verse 22, that's all they could talk about was what they were doing. 
Many will say to me in that day, verse number 22, many will say to me in that day, that's the, that's the line right there that grips my heart. It's one of the most heartbreaking verses in our Bible. And there are several, but this right here is in the top 10 as far as I'm concerned. In that day, verse number 22, what's he talking about in that day? Well, I believe he's talking about the great white throne judgment. That's the only thing he can be talking about because there's a judgment taking place here and the people he's judging are people that are not saved. People that have been saved went through the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which took place right after the rapture, I believe. But this, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11, there is another judgment that takes place that involves the unbeliever and it happens at the end of the thousand year reign. So if Jesus were to come back right now, and I wished he would. Then after that is seven years of tribulation. Okay, there's people talk about Jesus coming back halfway through the tribulation or at the end of it. They're probably wrong about other stuff. There's a seven-year tribulation period that happens immediately after the rapture. Antichrist comes on the scene. After the seven-year tribulation period, we have Jesus coming back. And there is a thousand-year reign. At the end of that thousand year reign is the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. And everybody that has never been saved will be judged at that throne during that time. And I believe that is what Jesus is talking about in our text. Many shall say to me in that day. I just hang on that just a minute. What bothers me is that word many in verse 22. Now, we find that word many used earlier in the chapter way back in verse number 13. Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. We know there are a lot of people on planet earth right now that's not saved. Seven point, whatever, eight billion, I think it is. And I can remember, Brother O'Donnell, I remember back in the early 80s when my daddy was on deputation going around talking about 4 billion people on the earth. And now there's 7.8 billion, I believe. If you pull up a population clock, I believe it's on there. That's a lot of people. I remember daddy talking about how long it took to take the count to a billion. He said, if you start right now and you count one per second, it takes 30-something years to get to a billion. That's a lot of people. Now, I've not done that. I just took his word for it. We know there's a lot of people on this earth that's never been saved. We know there's a lot of people on this earth that's never heard the gospel. We know there are many people on this earth that have never made a profession of faith. And that many right there, that word many in that verse, that bothers me. That's what motivates our missions program here at Calvary Baptist Church. That is the, that is the, the motivation behind the Every Nation Project and the Every State Project. That is the motivation behind our soul winning efforts. Amen. Yesterday with a head cold and me hocking up junk and spitting stuff in the sore throat. I was walking up 40, what street was we on Grace? 40... 48th Street. Grace said, you ought not be out here. Sick as you are. I said, you got to get these tracks out. Walking up and down the streets, passing out tracks. We're motivated by that many in verse number 13. 
that's never heard. But when you get to verse number 22, we find that word many again, but this is a different group of people. The many in verse number 22 is not the people in China and Brazil and the Amazon and people in the Sahara Desert, people in the islands of the South Pacific and the Eskimos at the North Pole. This is a group of people that have professed to be saved and are actively involved in ministry. Lost. Standing at the judgment, great white throne judgment, arguing with Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, and trying to hear their best to prove to him that they ought to go to heaven because of their works. After he just said, them that do the will of my father, Many shall say to me, man, there's a lot of people saying it that ain't even doing anything. And you got a lot of people that are saying, Lord, Lord, and doing a bunch of stuff, and that crowd's still lost. Many, many will say to me, this crowd had heard about Jesus. This crowd had called him Lord. This crowd had gotten involved in ministry. This crowd had done many wonderful works in his name. Look at what it says in verse 22. Have we not prophesied? Many will say, not a few, not just a few here and there, Many will say to me, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? They're standing before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. And here's the part right here that breaks my heart. This is how powerful deception is. Is Is everybody listening to me this morning? If Jesus were to come back right now, it'd be a thousand and seven years till the great white throne judgment. These people are standing before Jesus arguing with him that they ought to go to heaven and they've done been in the lake of fire at least a thousand years. If we're talking about people that died right now, we're not talking about people that died hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. We're talking, about, we're talking about a deception that is so strong that they're standing before God at the, judge, at the great white throne judgment arguing with him that they ought to go to heaven based on their works. What's amazing to me is how people can be so convinced they're saved that's not even doing any of this stuff. We got people that think they're saved. They think they're doing God a favor, going to church once or twice a month. This this crowd right here went off and left them a long time ago, and this crowd's lost. I know what some of you are thinking, preacher. I'm confused. I thought the Bible said, "Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." That is what it says. 
But this crowd right here did call on the name of the Lord, and they weren't saved. You may say, preacher, I don't understand. I believe in God. Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. I believe in God. The Bible tells us in James 2.19, now believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The more I think about this statement, when I get to verse number 23, the more it blows my mind. Jesus said, then will I profess unto them. I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you and forgot you. He didn't say I knew you and you got backslid and lost your salvation. He said, I never knew you. What is he talking about? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't want to contradict scripture. I'm doing my best to try to preach this book up here this morning. But God knows everything. Does he not? So why would he look at somebody and say, I never knew you, if he knows everything? Well, here's what I believe. I believe he did know them. He just did not know them as his own. Stay with me now. Here's what the Bible says in John 2, 24. Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Now that's John 2, 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Because he knew them, he did not commit himself unto them. That's Anybody choking yet beside me? He knows everybody. He has given everybody an opportunity to be saved. He died for everybody. You believe that? When he looked at them and said, I never knew you, I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder what it must have felt like for them because they thought they knew him, but they didn't. And they thought he knew them, and he didn't. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Stay with me now. And I know my sheep. And I am known of mine. I know my sheep. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Well, does he know all sheep? Well, I mean, in an omniscient kind of way, yes. But there's something different about him knowing his sheep. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, The Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knoweth them that are his. I believe that's what he's talking about. I never knew you. I knew you in the fact that I knew when you were born. And I knew your thoughts were far off. And I knew where you were. And I knew how many times you had an opportunity to get saved and didn't. And how many times you rejected Christ. And I knew that the hairs of your head are numbered. And, and I knew all of that. And we sing that song when he was on the cross. 
I was on his mind. He knew them in that general sense, but he did not know them as his. I don't think it makes sense. He knows those that have been reconciled unto him by his son. See, Ephesians 2 says this, says we were strangers and aliens. And without Christ and without God in this world. But the Bible also tells us that when we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. I hope I'm not confusing anybody this morning. He knows you're sitting in this service. He also knows if you're his. And I can't think of anything more tragic than standing before God at the judgment, great white throne judgment, and hearing an omniscient God that knows everything about everybody look at me and say, I never knew you. You might have known about me. You might have known about me, but you didn't know me. You had a head knowledge. Pharisees had a head knowledge of God. You couldn't hold the light to that crowd. They could quote Old Testament scripture like back of their hand. But standing right there looking at Jesus Christ, they did not know him. I think it was R.G. Lee, one of those old time preachers are dead and gone now back in the 50s, said 80%. I think it was R.G. Lee said 50% of, 80% of Southern Baptists have never been regenerated. I believe it was him. My heart this morning is so heavy for the possibility that there might be one person sitting in this service God don't know you. He don't know you. You're not his. Salvation is not making a religious commitment. Salvation is not just praying a prayer. My heart's been grieved. I've heard people say, why didn't you just get them to pray the prayer? Praying the prayer is not what saves you. Stay with me now. He said they're... My family member's dying. They're dying. They're on their deathbed. If I could just get them to pray that prayer. If you just get them to pray that prayer, that don't mean they got saved. Salvation's not praying a prayer. It's not a magic formula, a magic wand that you pull out and wave over somebody and they say the right words and bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, they're saved. That's not how it works. I'm wondering how many people think they're saved because they prayed a prayer. Salvation is not praying a prayer. It's not saying the right words. Salvation is not considering yourself a follower of Christ. Judas Iscariot did it for three and a half years. Salvation is not doing good works and taking care of people and serving people and doing all these things in the name of Jesus. That is not salvation. Salvation's not just a head knowledge of what Jesus did and who he is. There are two groups of people sitting in this service this morning 
That is people that has fruit of salvation and people that do not have fruit of salvation. You say, how important is fruit? Well, I think it's interesting in our text back in Matthew 7 that Jesus mentioned it several times in a chapter that starts out with judge not that you be not judged. In a chapter that starts talking about judging, he gets down to verse number 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, verse number 17, but every corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. How do you know which is which? You got to judge. I'm not being judgmental if I pull an apple out of the fruit basket on the table and take a bite of it and it's rotten. I say, it's rotten. Well, you're judging. Well, maybe so, but it's rotten. It's evil fruit. <coughs> Look at verse number 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast through the fire. Verse number 20. Wherefore, by their fruit ye shall know them. How important is fruit? Brother Sammy Allen used to say, no root, no fruit. Matthew 13 says that that good seed brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. But there are no, no fruit Christians. Right. Some of y'all didn't get that. I'm going to say it again. I can't find in my Bible no fruit Christians. Right. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, look at their fruit. And by their fruit you shall know them. Is that what he's saying? Guess what he's saying at the great white throne judgment. I looked at your fruit and I don't know you. I don't know you. You said, Lord, Lord, but you had no fruit. Like I said a while ago, some of y'all don't doubt your salvation. But some of us do doubt your salvation. The chapter ends with this statement in verse 28. It came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. It is astonishing. It's astonishing that there are people that will devote their entire life calling Jesus Lord and doing all these works in his name, never, ever having truly been saved. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, does he know you? Does he know you? What, what fruit of salvation is being produced in your life? I mean, honestly. 